Hi, my name is Jackie Marcel, and I serve here at Heights Baptist Church in the children's ministry. Thank you so much for joining us today online. If you would like to connect with us, you can go to our Facebook page, you can go to our Instagram, or you can go to our website at heightschurch.org connect. Thank you for joining us. You know, there are two words in the English language uh, that when are said to you are hard to receive. Right, so two words that when someone speaks them to you, they're often hard to receive. And those two words are this. Trust me. Right? Trust me. I'll pick you up on time tomorrow. Trust me. I'll pay you back when I get paid. Right? Trust me. I will always be there for you. Trust me. This time I have changed. See, when, when someone says, trust me, and you place your trust in them, and then they break the promise, that causes friction within the relationship. That, that causes problems. That causes tension. And what we tend to do in those trust issues that we develop horizontally in our relationships is we then transfer those trust issues to God. And so what will happen is if I have trust issues with you and you have trust issues with me, then we can carry it over to God. But you know God, way back when, when an angel appeared to Joseph and he found out that Mary was pregnant with child, God delivered one of the greatest trust me promises of all time. He said in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 to Joseph, the angel said, she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus for He will save His people from their sins. That's God coming to humanity and saying, trust Me. Trust Me. I'm sending a Savior, and He's going to come in the form of a baby. Trust Me. I've got a plan to forgive you of your sins. We're in our Christmas series called The Line, and what we're saying is really that line can be drawn right through human history. One birth changed it all. One birth by the name of Jesus changed all of human history. And what we're doing is we're kind of this season picking some non-traditional Christmas passages because what we're looking at is that this Jesus came with the promise to be able to save us from our sins. So I want to ask just one question before we dive in the text today. And it's this. Can he do it? Can he do it? I mean, if God's saying, trust me, He can save you from your sins, can Jesus really do that? When you pick up in Luke chapter 5, in verse 17, you see that the setting is a period in time in which Jesus is teaching. you got Pharisees there, teachers of the law there, they're in a house, and people have come from all around the villages of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. So, all right, so word's getting out popularity of Jesus is spreading, and people are just coming near and far. Notice what Luke says in Luke 5, verse 17 about Jesus. He kind of puts this right in at the end of verse 17. He says, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. I love what Luke does there. So he gives you the setting. We're in a large house. All these people are in the house. Jesus is teaching, and he has the power of God upon him to heal. 
It's Luke that's already told us in Luke chapter 3 that when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon Him, showing us that Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully man. And so Luke is reminding you something right there in verse 17, that this Jesus that's on the scene, this Jesus that's here in this house, is the God-man. He is full authority of God. He has the full power of God. And then notice what happens in verses 18-19. through 19. It says, And behold... Some of them were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. And finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up to on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles in the midst before Jesus. Verse 18, it's Luke that tells us that some men, in Mark's account of the gospel, we read that it's four friends that come in. And as Jesus is teaching in this house, these men open a, root, a hole in the roof. All right? We've got to get our friend to Jesus. There's no way in. There's a crowd outside. There's a crowd inside. Nobody's moving out of the way. We've got to get our friend who can't walk to Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to dig a hole in the roof. Right? We're going to let them in. A couple of things about this. First, understand in this culture that people with disabilities, whether they be physical disabilities or mental disabilities, are often outcast of society. People that bore some type of disability, it was the religious leaders and kind of the common thought of the day that you were disabled, whether mentally or physically, because of a sin that you had committed or something your parents had done, and this was a way of God punishing you. So therefore, those folks were often pushed out from society where they were pushed out from their homes, they were pushed out from jobs, they were outcasts, even they were not welcome in the temple, and even the religious people turned their backs on them. So what you have often that you see when Jesus is healing people physically and mentally is a restoration back to the community. That Jesus is saying, I'm not just healing you and giving you the ability to walk, but now you are welcome back to the community. He's restoring people back to where they belong. That's why as a church, we intentionally reach out to people with special needs. We have our special needs ministry here for families like mine with our son with autism because we want to let people know that still today society often pushes out to the fringes and saying you don't belong, that you belong within the family of God. Amen? And that's what we see within the gospel, that Christ is bringing the outcast in, those that are not welcome in. But here we see that they make a hole in the roof. And I, I notice in verse 19, you see that Luke is pointing out that they remove the tiles from the roof. If you read Mark's account, let me just kind of help you understand something that sometimes people will bring up in this story. Mark's account says they dig a hole in the roof. Mark is pointing us toward more than likely it's a mud roof. Luke is mentioning they remove the tiles from the roof. So what sometimes people do is go, well, hang on, there's a contradiction in the Bible, and see, you can't trust the Bible because Mark and Luke can't get the story right, right? So what happened? Did Luke just forget some details, and now he's making it up, and can I really trust this? Because one guy says it's a mud roof, one guy says it's a tile roof. A right? couple explanations on that. 
First, in this period and in this day and time in Palestine, you had flat roofs. You know, you had a ladder up to your roof, staircase up to your roof, where you could go and kind of hang out in the evening and get cool. Often the roofs were in this region and this time made of mud. However, those that were wealthy, they had tiles on their roofs. So more than likely, Jesus could be at a very wealthy person's house in this setting. That would have large open gathering rooms. They may have a large courtyard that could hold a lot of people. So there's one explanation. Second explanation is this. Luke is writing to a man by the name of Theopolis, who is not in this region. So Theopolis isn't going to quite understand mud roofs. So as Luke's writing to Theopolis, he's letting them know it's a tile roof because where Theopolis lives, he understands tile roofs. That's what they have. So in order to gain the visual picture, Luke's inserting that they're tiles. But what do we see happens? Whether it's mud or tiles, there's a big old hole in the roof now, right? Not just a little hole, but a big hole. I mean, you got a guy who can't walk, who's probably on a bed, he's on a tile, you know, on a mat, and they dig a big enough hole to let this man in. But notice what happens next. And this is where the story really picks up and gets pretty shocking. Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees begin questioning, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Join me in that room for a moment. Maybe you got a, a close-up seat. You got there early enough. You stood you know, in line overnight and camped out. Maybe you're in the back. And you're kind of doing one of these numbers, looking to see what's, what's going on. Join me in the room. Here we are. Hearing the teaching of Jesus, shoulder to shoulder, compacted, we're hanging on every word, and all of a sudden, you're hearing some noise, and you're thinking, man, those toddlers again, oh, those, those kids, why are these kids in here making all these noise, right, in Jesus' teaching? But all of a sudden, you look up, and there's a big old hole that emerges in the ceiling. From there, a man is lowered in the middle of the room, right in front of Jesus. Shocking enough, right? I mean, yeah, shocking enough. We, we agree on that one? Okay. We, we've never been in a church service where that has happened, correct? All right. So none of us have a context of seeing this. So we can say, hey, shocking enough, a guy gets lowered down in the roof in the middle. You know, how is church today? You know, church is okay, but right in the middle of Lee's sermon, the, the roof opened up, and man, just the guy just, you know, repelled down, right? I mean, none of us have ever had to say that. Okay, so one, shocking enough. Second thing that's even more shocking is Jesus looks at him, and he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, at that moment, when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, if there was already a little crowd murmuring of discussion of the man being lowered down, now you cannot hear a mosquito burp in this place. I mean, it is dead silent, no toddlers running around, nobody talking. Why? Not because of what the man rappelling down from the roof because of what Christ just said. 
your sins are forgiven for you. See, an Old Testament prophet would say God has forgiven your sins. And so here you have people figuring out, who's this Jesus? Is he a prophet from the Old Testament? Is he, you know, Elijah? Who is he? Is he just a good moral teacher? And Jesus took it one step further and didn't say, hey, God has forgiven your sin. I have forgiven your sin. I'm the one now forgiving you. And that's why the Pharisees ask a great theological question. We're not going to slam the Pharisees for their question because the question's dead on in verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees begin to question, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right? That's a great question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? You know, every religion has a forgiveness system built within it. Every religion. Every religion on the planet has a forgiveness system built within it. Every person who desires when they die to go to some form of heaven, whatever they say heaven is, has a way that they're going to try to get there. Every person does this. Some will say, hey, you got to work your way to heaven, right? You got to work your way in the afterlife and be a good moral person. And it's all about your good outweighing your bad. That's one way. Some will say, all right, I've got a payment system, all right? So I've got to pay my way into heaven. I've got a sacrifice to a God or a sacrifice to an idol. I'm going to pay my way in. Every person has a way that they're trying to work from here to there when they die because every person understands they've done wrong and morally they're not all right. Here's where Christianity separates itself from everybody. Don't miss this. Ours is not a payment system. Our way to heaven is not a good work system. Our way is a receiving it. See, Jesus says, I'm giving you salvation. I'm offering you forgiveness of your sin. I'm the one doing all the work on the cross. All you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is believe in me. I'm the one doing it all. And so this is a great question they're asking. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Because Jesus has just said, essentially, I'm God because I'm forgiving your sin. That's why then Jesus does what Jesus does often in the Gospels. And kids, here's a good way to converse with your parents when they ask you a question. Answer with the question. Now, I just got in trouble on some of that. Why didn't you clean your room? Why didn't you wash the dishes, right? Yeah. Why didn't you, you know, take out the trash? Why haven't you folded the laundry, right? I mean, so now all those discussions are going to brew in your house, and parents, I'm sorry. But Jesus answers a question with a question. He does it masterfully. Because they say, who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he said, Why do you question this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, verse 23, your sins are forgiven you, or say, rise up and walk? Which is easier, class? Is it easier to look at somebody and just go, hey, your sins are forgiven? Or, get up and walk? What if you went to the med center today, 
And you, you just went into the hospital and you're walking down the hall and you know, you stick your head in the door. Which is easier to say to the person? Hey, buddy, your sins are forgiven you. Or you know what? I got the power to heal. Get up and walk. Right? How well do you think that visit's going to go? It's going to go real well, is it? You know, just trust me. Just get on up and walk. I, you're good. You don't need to be in that bed. I know your legs are in two casts, but you're fine. Just get on up and walk, right? Now, what's the easiest thing to say? The easiest thing to say is, your sins are forgiven. Why? Can't see that right away. It's harder to say to a man who can't walk, get up and walk. But what does Jesus do? He says at the end of verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. Did you notice that? Jesus is saying, hey guys, you ask a great question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So let me just help you. Which is easier? Your sins are forgiven? Or rise up, take up your bed and walk? Well, let me just show you my authority. Let me just show you my power. Let me just show you who I am. Get up, take your bed, and go home. And we read in the text that this man did just that and went home in amazement back to his family, leaping, walking, and praising the Lord. What you see in this story is that Jesus has the divine power to heal and forgive our sins before God. So way back ago, when God said to Joseph, hey, Mary's going to have a baby. And this baby has the power to forgive you of your sins. Trust me. Here's Jesus, Luke chapter 5, who says, I have the power and the authority to heal you and forgive you. Do you trust Him? Do you trust Him in that? Do you trust Him with your sicknesses and diseases and your mental anguish and all those issues you have? Do you trust Him to forgive you of your sins? Or are you trying to work your way up through another system, pay your way in? Have you simply said, Jesus, I trust You to heal me physically and to heal me spiritually? See, as we end our, our time in the text, I, I want to call those of you that haven't trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior to do that today. Today, you need to just draw a line in your life and say, listen, I... I came in here not sure if I trust the Lord, but today I'm walking out of here knowing I trust Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life. And so for some of you, maybe that's what you need to do. You just need to draw that line and say, hey, here I was not believing in Jesus, but right now I'm believing in this Jesus to forgive me of my sin and heal me. Right, maybe for some of you, that's what you need to do. But let me encourage all of us to do this. This is what verse 25 and 26 says about the man. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what has, he had been lying on, went home glorifying God. And verse 26, and amazement seized them all. They glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we've seen extraordinary things today. Let me encourage every one of us, every boy, teenager, man, and woman here to do this. Don't forget to be amazed 
at what God's done in your life. Right? Don't, don't forget to be amazed at what God's done in your life, God's doing in your life. Don't forget to be amazed at what God's doing in the life of our church, because here's the problem. I know people well enough. All right? I know when a crowd assembles, even though these people saw a bona fide miracle that day. Right? Again, amazing. Guy being lowered through the roof. Never seen that. And now a guy who came in, could not walk, ran home. Right? Bona fide miracle. I know crowds well enough. There had to be a couple in that crowd go, now we got a hole in the roof. <laughs> Who's going to pay for that hole? Who's going to fix that? You know what? We've never had a hole in the roof around this place before. I don't know why we need a hole now, right? I, I, I know that. I know that about people. And let me just encourage you not to stare at the hole in the roofs in your lives. Because sometimes whatever that little hole can be for you and me in the roof of our lives, we can totally miss what God's doing because all we're doing is staring at that one little hole in the roof. Don't look at the hole. Look at what Christ has done. Look at who He is. Look at what He's doing in your life. And let me finally tell you to do this and encourage you to do this today. Is to be one of those types of friends. <laughs> I love the friends in the story. Right? I want friends like that in my life. Man, I, I'm going to do anything and everything to get you to Jesus. Hey, we can't go in through the front door. We can't go in through the side windows. Man, there is such a crowd here. We've got to get this guy to Jesus today because we've heard Jesus can heal people. So how are we going to get him to Jesus? All right, let's put our heads together. Let's dig a hole through the roof. Right? I love that about these guys. They are not going to quit until they get their friend to Jesus. Be that type of friend. Let me challenge you to be that type of friend. Whether you have four people in your life or three people, whether they're a coworker, a family member, a child, a grandchild, whoever it is that you know, hey, they need healing from Christ and they need forgiveness in their life, that you do everything in your power to get them to Jesus because you believe in what Jesus can do for them. So I'm going to encourage you to do this this morning. I want to encourage everybody to take out this welcome card. And there's some welcome cards around you. Uh, and if there's one not right in front of you, maybe lean over and grab one uh, from the seats. Because here's what I'm going to ask all of you to do. And everyone with a welcome card in their hand, and you take out a pen, on the back side of that card, I want you to put into practice being one of those friends that you need to get people to Christ. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to write down a name of somebody. You don't have to put a last name. You can just put a first name. And I want you to write down at least a first name of somebody you know in your life that needs physical healing. Somebody you know that they're going through something in their life physically that they just need God to step in their life and heal. All right? It could be a small thing, a big thing, you know, middle of the road thing, whatever it is. Somebody you know who needs healing. Don't have to write a last name. You just put their first name, and right beside it, put healing. All right, so you're, you're writing a name down because you're going to be one of those friends that's going to get people to Jesus. Second name I want you to write is I want you to write a name of a person that you know, again, you don't have to put a last name, just first name is fine. A name of a person you know that needs salvation, that they need their sin forgiven. 
that you know they are not believers in Jesus Christ. All right, so, so right under that name where you wrote the name and you put out healing, I want you to write out that person's name and I want you to write out salvation. All right, so right beside their name, I want you to write out salvation. Then the third name is going to be a name of a person that you've been praying about inviting to church. So you, again, don't have to put a last name, just put a first name. You put down their first name and right beside their name, you write invite. So again, you're going to be one of those friends, just like these four. Man, we're, we got to dig a hole in this roof. We're going to do it. Anything we got to do to get people to Christ, here's what we're going to do. So you've got three names down on your card. One for healing, one for salvation, one for invite. Here's what's going to happen with those cards. In a moment, you're going to take a moment and pray for those three names. Then at the end of the service, you can either hand it to me, hand it to Pastor Matt, Put it in one of the gray boxes in the room. And then tomorrow during our ministerial staff meeting, we're going to take out these cards. We're going to pray for every single name that you wrote down. Because we believe that God works through prayer. And so we believe, hey, let's get people to Christ. And so here's one way you can be a part of that today. Just write down those three names. One for healing. One for salvation. One that you're going to invite here soon to a church service. And then you're going to put that card in those gray boxes, hand to me, hand to Pastor Matt, and our ministerial staff, we're going to pray along with you for those names because we believe that Christ can do what God promised in Matthew 1.21. He is the one who can forgive us of our sins. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for who you are. Lord, we thank you that when you say to us, trust me, that we can trust you, that you promised a Savior who can forgive us of our sins. And we see in Luke chapter 5 that Jesus has the divine power to heal us physically, but also, Father, to heal us spiritually, to take away our sin and the penalty of that sin, that when we trust in Christ as our Savior, we have life with God now and life eternal with you. So Lord, thank you for being that type of God that we can trust. I want to invite you right now in your home, right now in this place, to be in just prayer for one of those, those, those names you wrote down. Take a moment, pray for all three of them. Just in your own way, in your own words, lift them up to God. Just come to the Lord right now where you are and just say, Lord, I, I'm praying for this, for my friend to be healed. Praying for that cancer to be gone. Praying, praying for the flu to be over in their life. And you're praying for that other friend, that family member, that coworker, that child, that grandchild to be saved. And you're praying for that friend that you're going to invite, that person you're going to bring this holiday season. You be in prayer for those three names. Those of you today that need to take the very first step of trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior, whether you're in your home, wherever you're hearing my voice, driving, in this room, wherever it is, right now, right today, you can draw that line in your life to say, I'm no longer an unbeliever. Today, I'm ready to trust Jesus and become a believer in Jesus Christ. Then you can do that right where you are. You simply just call out to Him as the Bible says in Romans 10, 13. And you can simply just voice a prayer, just something like this. You just say, dear God, I need Jesus to be my Savior. I believe He died on a cross for me. 
I believe He rose from the grave. Today, I'm ready to trust Jesus. So, Father, I just pray for those around the room in their homes, wherever they are, that may have just prayed along with us. You, you know their hearts. You know what they're thinking. And, Lord, I just thank You that You desire the salvation of all people. And so we just pray today for those that may have prayed for the very first time to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Every name that's written on a card, every name that was lifted up today, Lord, I thank you. You have loved those folks so much. You sent Christ Jesus into this world to die for them. So we pray for their healing, pray for their salvation. Lord, we just pray you'll work in, your, in their lives. And Lord, I just pray in my life, in everybody's life here, that we don't ever lose the amazement of what you've done in us, and through us, and you're continuing to do in our lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.